You guys ever had this moment where, you know, maybe you got out of work on a, on a Friday night and you got the tunes are cranking in the car and you're, you're singing along at the top of your lungs and everything is good and the sun is shining and you're joyful and you look over and you're sitting at a red light and there's a person next to you who is staring at you because you're just singing at the top of your lungs and you just totally got busted. And they saw it, and you just try and, you know, stare straight ahead and pretend it didn't happen. I can't sing anymore, but, you know, maybe I'll, I'll get caught air drumming for sure, absolutely. But it, I'm asking for a friend, right? It never happened to me. There are those times where we have, for whatever reason, in the moment, our heart is overflowing with joy. And it seems like maybe a natural outflow of that is, is worship, and it expresses itself in singing. Worship is way more than singing. But singing is an outflow of worship, and there's times where we feel joyful. We have music, we have praise, we have these things that that help us express that. But then we have these other times, maybe when we don't feel so joyful, and we don't feel like singing. Like instead of those moments where we are joyful and singing at the top of our lungs on the way home, maybe we're just staring at the windshield, wondering when things are going to get better. What if, just follow me here, what if in those moments of doubt and fear, we turned our focus to worship. And worship, again, being more than singing, right? I'm talking about the, the settled disposition of our hearts that cultivates a focus on God as our King and a trust in Him because of that. It's meditating on who He is, His character, all of His attributes. And we allow that to then well up in our hearts and overflow in worship. Even in the midst of adversity? Yes. Even in the midst of adversity. And that's what Mary is going to show us today. So if you're not there already, head over to Luke chapter 1. Continuing our Advent series. Last week we started by looking at Mary and the angelic announcement of the future birth of her son, Jesus Christ. Mary was visited by the angel Gabriel who brought the news of God's favor upon her. An unbelievable news, even though she was an unmarried virgin, she would conceive and give birth to a son. She is to name him Jesus, and he will be king of kings and lord of lords, and he will be king of God's eternal kingdom. Mary, like many of us, we don't really have a category for this, and Mary expressed, how can this be? Realization, answer, God. Because nothing is impossible with God. Miracles are not miraculous to God. In the end, Mary comes to accept this as from God, saying, as we ended last week, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. O church, that we might develop this perspective. Let it be whatever you say, Lord. We are your servants. And this week, we continue to look at Mary. We will find that she's, again, quite the remarkable woman. She heads out on a road trip to visit her relative Elizabeth to start investigating the truth of what the angel had told her. And just allow me to backtrack just a little bit to set the table here. It's always a little weird when we jump into a book and then we're going to spend a couple weeks here and jump out so we have a little bit of context work to set. Elizabeth's husband, uh, Zachariah, had an angelic visit of his own. So before, most likely, Gabriel came to visit Mary, he stopped along the way and visited Zechariah when he was on duty as a priest. And he told Zechariah that they too would give birth to a son, which is also remarkable because up until that time, they had no kids. It's also remarkable because they're super old. 
and they could not have kids. They were, they were beyond childbearing years. But Zechariah had been praying for years and years and years to have a child. And he's visited by the angel. And if we backtrack just a bit to chapter 1, verse 13, we'll look at this and set the foundation for us today. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness and many lost my place already. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before them in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Crazy news, the, the miraculous uh, conception and birth of John the Baptist, right? We're very familiar with John the Baptist, maybe from our time in Matthew, the forerunner of the Lord, the continuation of the prophet Elijah, who will come and prepare the way for the Lord. He came, crazy guy in the wilderness with crazy hair, eating bugs and honey, wearing burlap, baptizing people, saying, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand, pointing the way to the Messiah. The Messiah is coming. Prepare the way of the Lord. It is important to understand that John the Baptist, unlike Jesus, was not divine. John the Baptist was conceived, we think, in the ordinary way. This was not a Holy Spirit like enabling conception. This was probably normal relations between a husband and a wife that God finally heard the prayers of Zechariah and Elizabeth, all in his time, all for this moment. Not the same story, of course, with Jesus. He was conceived, we saw last week, by the power of the Holy Spirit. There was no sexual relations at that time between Mary and Joseph. This had to happen so that Jesus could have his dual nature, right? He is completely God, so he's conceived by the Holy Spirit, but he's also human, truly God and truly human. So he had to be born of a woman in order to be the human side, but conceived by the Holy Spirit in order to be the God side. This had to happen. So Jesus continues his nation. God being able to pay the sin debt that no man could possibly pay, and human to represent us, to be our sacrifice, our substitutionary atonement. Jesus was perfectly sinless, not inheriting original sin from our father Adam, like he would have, and being prevented, rather, by the work of the Holy Spirit from taking any sin on himself through Mary. We saw this in verse 35. We just sung it. Holy is his name. He will be holy. It says, Therefore, this child, Mary, will be holy. Gabriel also told Mary last week about this miraculous pregnancy for Elizabeth and Zechariah, and this week, Mary sets out to go see for herself. So let's get into our passage. Verse 39 in those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. 
If we pause there and look at this chunk, in those days, meaning just kind of Bible speak for saying at the same time, the same time that what was going on with Mary and the angelic visit, then after this, right in the immediate context, Mary gets up, it says, with haste, quickly, with urgency, on a mission to go see her, her relative, Elizabeth. Mary goes into the hill country of Judah. And so, yes, map people rejoice. We have a map to show us. So, Nazareth being up here. I can't, oh, the Christmas tree's over there. Cool. Nazareth is up here. And then you see this journey that, that we suppose the hill country was somewhere around here in Judah, just south of Jerusalem. So quite a journey that she had to take by herself, by the way. Probably about 100 miles, we estimate. All by herself on foot, by the way. She didn't have the minivan with the easy pass and the cruise control. She is on foot. Most of the time, people could cover about 20 miles a day on foot, so probably took her the better part of a week to do this. Harsh conditions, of course, not really a good idea for a single teenage girl to be off roaming around by herself. It's dangerous. And she went with haste, quickly, on a mission. We see tremendous character in Mary already. Not only her willing acceptance of God's plan, despite it seeming impossible, but now we see her taking action in obedience to go see her relative Elizabeth Elizabeth, to check this out for herself. One theologian put it this way, Mary demonstrated her courage as well as her desire for confirmation of God's plan. Such a journey would have been dangerous, especially for a young girl alone. Mary serves as a role model, not only for her obedience, but for her action. She overcame any fear that she may have had about surrendering to God's call in her life or facing the possible danger involved in confirming His will. Such complete surrender freed her to act in confidence. When Mary arrives at Elizabeth's home and calls out to her to say, I'm here, hello, Elizabeth's child, John, in the womb, leaps for joy. About six months pregnant, moms, you know how this feels. I'm not even going to pretend to know how this feels. I saw it twice. You know, you see the arms and the legs moving in the belly and all of that. I can't even imagine what that feels like to have a human life growing inside of you. And then to have the baby leap for joy. Right? Sometimes, moms, I know, you're like, what are you doing in there? But leaping for joy when she heard the voice of Mary confirming that that was no ordinary visitor. John the Baptist filled with the Holy Spirit even from the time he was in the womb. As a preborn baby, he hears the voice of the mother of Jesus and leaps for joy. Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, exclaims in confirmation to Mary, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And then she says, Why me? Why am I so special that the mother of my Lord would be in my house? And to have this confirmation, Elizabeth gave Mary the confirmation she was looking for. Another sign, another indication she's on the right track, another indication this is for real, another indication that this is true. And Mary is blessed for her role in all of this. Elizabeth says it three times. Blessed are you among women, blessed is the baby to come, and blessed are you, Mary, watch this, for your faith. You who believed what was said to you. You who believed it was real. Believed it to the point of walking a hundred miles over the course of a week in dangerous conditions by yourself because the angel told you about what happened. That's obedience. That's faith. 
And I'll say it this way. Believing God's word produces the blessings of obedience. Believing God's word produces the blessings of obedience. Here's the thing. If we don't believe God at his word, we're not going to obey his word. And then why should we expect God's blessing? See how that works? We don't believe what God says in his word. We don't believe him at his word. We're not going to obey. And if we don't obey, why would we ever expect God's blessing? And as human beings, we want the blessings. Yes, bring it on. We want the blessings. Please bless me. Sure, give me the blessings. But where do the blessings come from? They come from a heart that believes God and therefore submits to God as God, as king, who trusts him at his word. Mary believes God's word that she will become pregnant and have a son. She believed that Elizabeth was pregnant. So she goes there to see for herself. This faith of hers leads her in obedience, in action, and therefore she is called blessed for her, her obedience, which stems from her faith. To say it another way, obedience comes from faith. Obedience comes from faith. It's important to point out here that Mary is a human being, right? She is not divine, right? That's the error of Roman Catholic theology, right? They, they, they won't come right out and say in their doctrine that Mary is a god, right? Because that's too far, but then we'll venerate Mary and give her special praise in a special place. So she's kind of, sort of, Yes, mostly a God that we would pray to, that Mary could help us in things. And that's, that's not true. That is false doctrine. We don't see that in the Scripture at all. We don't pray to Mary. Mary is blessed, but Mary's a human being. Mary is undertaking an extraordinary thing empowered by the Holy Spirit, but an ordinary human being. Mary actually talks about this later on in Luke, which we won't get to, but... I'll say it anyway, Luke eleven twenty seven, And she actually, watch this, she's going to pair it with obedience. In Luke eleven twenty seven, these things are happening. Jesus is teaching on the scene. This is years and years from now, obviously. He said these things. A woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. So Jesus is teaching, and this woman says, Blessed is Mary. How awesome is Mary? And what does Jesus say? Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. He says, don't, don't make too much of a big deal of my mom. I love her, right? But don't, we're not worshiping Mary. Here, here's who's truly blessed, he says. Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Believing God's word produces the blessings of obedience. Church, we live on this side of redemptive history. We know what God expects of us because we have it all here. We have God's holy, authoritative, complete word kept and preserved for us. We have it. We don't have to guess what God's word is. We don't have to guess about what expects of us. We have his word. We have the Bible and blessings come from not only believing the Bible but obeying it. And God doesn't give us his law as a cosmic killjoy. Sometimes we think, man, there's so much hard stuff in here, the law and all of that, but rather in his law is actually life. Psalm 19, many places talk about it in the Psalms, but maybe Psalm 19, I'll read just a few verses. Listen to this. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, 
rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, watch this, by them your servant is warned, and keeping them there is what? Great reward. Why would we not cherish God's word and God's law and cling to it for what the Bible says it is? Life. God is not trying to take away life and joy from us with his word and his law. He gives us life through his word and his law. Why? Because it's not just an isolated list of rules. God's law is completely connected with God's character. It's who God is. God's law is a reflection of himself. God is justice. God is mercy. God is faithfulness. God is righteousness. And so as we obey God's law, we're obeying God's character. And there's blessing in that. There is great blessing in obeying God's word. And we are warned We're warned, keep ourselves out of trouble by obeying the law. Who would not want these things? And sometimes, though, we can fall into this kind of weird intellectual agreement with God's word. You know, we can can study it and be like, "Mm, yes, I like this very much, this is good. And then we close the Bible, right, and then don't actually obey it. We can have this weird kind of intellectual appreciation for God's word, but that doesn't translate into actual obedience in our daily lives. We're called to be doers of the word and not merely hearers. And famously, the the book of James talks about that in James chapter 1. Listen to this. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, watch this, he will be blessed in his doing. It's almost like the whole Bible says one story. Time and time again, you want to be blessed, obey God's word. This is not a weird formula that we can use to manipulate God, right? It's not like, hey God, did you see me this week? I had a 47-minute quiet time on Tuesday. I rocked that one. And then I helped a little old lady off the street and I threw an extra 20 in the giving plate. You know? So, let's go. Make it it rain with those blessings. Anytime now. That's not how that works. We obey God because we love God, because we believe God. But church, make no mistake, there is great blessing in obeying God out of belief. Right? It's one of those general life principles. It's not always, you can't always say it, but generally, if you do what God tells you to do, your life is going to go better than if you don't. It's a general life principle. Not always, because we have the presence of sin in the world and sin of other people and evil and sickness and all of that stuff, but generally, if we do what God tells us to do, it's going to go much better for us. So we need to do that. We need to follow what God tells you to do. This is the kind of stuff you would expect a pastor to say, right? Do what God tells you to do. There is blessing in the obedience that comes from faith. And not merely physical, material blessings, right? I'm not going prosperity gospel on us here. Many of the blessings we focus on here are spiritual. These things that money can't buy. The blessings of a peaceful heart. The blessings of joy and significance and what we're called to do. The blessings that we realize that we are forgiven, that we are loved. 
that we have an inheritance, all of those. And that should well up in worship. And worship is what we're called to, and worship is where Luke goes next. Look at verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. And he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. And he has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers and to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained there about three months And returned to her home. Many of you have a text note or a section heading, or you just know that this is the Magnificat. The Magnificat is Latin for magnifies. Mary is taking all this in, and her fear now is giving way to praise. Her soul is filled up with the Holy Spirit, and she is overjoyed. She just can't contain it anymore. It's one of the most famous hymns of all Christianity. We sang it on arrangement of it, of course, just a few minutes ago. The Magnificat contains so much for us to learn about God and be encouraged. And maybe I can organize this around one question. Why? Why is Mary so overflowing with worship for God? Especially now. Especially in the midst of this trial. And I'll answer this question up front. There are really three reasons that, wor- that Mary worships God, and therefore three reasons that we worship God right from our text this morning. We worship God for His provision, for His power, and for His promise. We worship God for His provisions, His power, and His promise. First, we worship God for His promise. Look at verse 48. Mary tells us that God has looked upon, in other words, considered or taken notice of her humble estate and bestowed tremendous blessing and honor on her. She will be called blessed for generations, as we even see that right now, because that's what we're talking about. We're talking about Mary and how blessed she is. Verse 50 tells us that he provides mercy for those who fear him. Verse 51 says that God doesn't provide for the arrogant, but rather, rather he scatters them. And it's very clunky Greek in there, and one translation straightens it out saying, he has scattered those whose pride wells up from the sheer arrogance of their hearts. Verse 52 says that he brings down the mighty and exalts the humble. Who does he provide for? The humble, the lowly. Verse 53 tells us that he provides the hungry with good things, but the rich he sends away empty. We worship God for his provision. And church, the reality is Every second of every day, we are sustained by God's faithful provision. From our planet being in perfect orbit, the perfect atmosphere to sustain life, we breathe God's air, we enjoy God's sunshine, we sleep under the light of God's moon. Every day, He causes the sun to rise, and He gives us energy to go about the things that He's put in our hearts. We enjoy the common grace of good food, of relationships, of sex, of money, of accomplishment, of kids, of dogs, and a million other things that are all provided by God. 
just like even this moment, which I'm getting distracted because of how awesome it looks outside right now with the snow falling. And now I've distracted all of you. You were all distracted already by that, I could tell. It's beautiful. It's God's common grace and His provision. And most of the time, we go about our days and don't even think about it. How many times do we think about, God, you're keeping my heart beating in perfect rhythm. God, you cause the sun to come up every day like you always do. God, you sustain me in my sleep. I woke up. How about that? I woke up. All these things that God provides for us, and sometimes, most of the time, if we're being honest, how much of it do we give a second thought to his provision constantly? We should stop and worship God for his provision like Mary does. It's one of the things that causes her to overflow is the provision of God. But we also worship God for his power. Verse 49 says, he who is mighty, or literally the, the powerful or the mighty one, he's done a great thing. Verse 51 says that he has shown strength with his arm, meaning God reveals his strength in the world around us. It's anthropomorphic. God doesn't have an actual arm. But we, we talk about God having an arm as the extension of his power. It's a metaphor for the demonstration of his power. We worship God for his power. In Israel's context, they saw the mighty arm of God in many ways in their history, but maybe most explicitly, his mighty arm rescued them from slavery, delivered them from slavery in Egypt. This is frequently noted in Scripture as God's, part of God's name, that he is the deliverer who delivered them from slavery. We see in one place, for example, in Deuteronomy, if I can remember where Deuteronomy is, there we go, Deuteronomy 26, chapter 8, says this, And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great deeds, with great deeds of terror. We're reminded in the scripture time and time again, this is who God is. He delivered Egypt, he, or Israel from Egypt, rather. This is how God still works. His powerful hand, he who is mighty, has brought Jesus to the virgin's womb. Jesus will come to do the work as we sang. He won our freedom. The yoke of our sin has been broken. He conquered death's sin. He shattered the darkness and he lifted our shame. The mighty one, holy, is his name. We worship God for his power. How often do we think about that? Sometimes we see a, a storm or a hurricane or some sort of natural event, natural disaster, and we think, wow, but that's a fraction of God's power. Just a fraction of his power. We worship God for his power. But third, we worship God for his promise. Hanging in the background of all this, of course, is the fulfillment of messianic prophecy. There will be one who will come to redeem his children back to the Father. That's a promise from God. And it's being fulfilled right here in Mary. In Mary's song, look at verse 55. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. What did he speak to them? Well, glad you asked. Let's take a look. We'll go back to Genesis chapter 17, and we'll look at one part. Genesis 17, and God spoke to Abraham. As for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she'll become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? 
So Sarah, who's 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael, can't we do it this way? Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. You guys catching this? Are you tracking with this? Another miraculous conception, another miraculous birth of God doing the impossible, of God doing his plan through these things. Again, it's almost like the whole Bible says one story. You ever think about that? God's doing something with Israel. Nations come from Israel through the everlasting covenant of his offspring, which Jesus comes from Israel. We saw last week the line of David is in full effect here. That's where Jesus comes from. That's where the Messiah has to come from. That was the promise. We worship God for his promise. And the Apostle Paul picks up this verse in Galatians and applies it directly to Jesus Christ. In Galatians chapter 3. Now the promises that were made to Abraham and to his offspring, it does not say and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring who is Christ. This is the fulfillment of the promise. Elsewhere in 2 Corinthians, Paul says, every one of God's promises find their fulfillment, literally find their yes in Jesus Christ. We see all of that. And we we can look at it in a level of maybe our own appreciation, our own assurance. Does God love me? Yes. How do we know that? Look at Jesus Christ. Am I forgiven? Yes. How do I know that? Look at the promise fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He did the work. He did the work for us. Right? All the promises of God come together in Jesus Christ, and we worship God for his promise. The biggest promise God has ever made is to redeem his children back to him through the promised Messiah, and he kept it, church. That's why Christmas is such a big deal. That's where the provision, the power, and the promise of God all come together. It comes together in Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, worthy of our eternal worship and service. And so if we're called to believe God, and He is worthy of our belief and our worship, where does that leave us? Look at Mary. Teenage girl, her whole life from a practical perspective just got put in the blender and turned upside down. She's absolutely, probably terrified. Pregnant, not married. Fiance, definitely not happy with her. Crazy angel encounters. If anyone should be lacking faith and consumed with doubt and worry right now, it should be Mary. And what is Mary doing? Singing. Worshiping. It should be Mary. But still, she's full of faith. Faith enough to make her walk by herself a hundred miles. And then full of worship. And sing about it. I'll say it this way. We destroy doubt and fear with faith and worship. We destroy doubt and fear with faith and worship. Again, put yourself in the shoes of Mary in the context of the passage. Think about how her life has just been turned upside down. Think of the fear, the worry, and anxiety that that she's experiencing. Think of the crazy news from Gabriel and how she must have doubted God's word. Yeah, right. I'm going to have a baby. One problem. I'm not married. And I haven't been with a man, but she obeys and she's blessed. Even still to this day, we call her blessed. Believing God's word produces the experiences, or the blessings rather, of obedience. 
And so ask yourself this Advent season, is my faith for real? Meaning, does it translate into actual obedience on a Tuesday morning? Or is it just something that I come here and I read the Bible and I intellectually appreciate, but does it actually impact the way that I live every single day? Do I believe it enough to actually obey it and receive the blessings of obedience? A Christian is someone who submits to God and obeys God as their king because he is. It's not just checking the box obedience, right? It comes from a heart full of faith. Again, looking at the words of her song, Mary is overflowing with worship of her king. We worship God for his provision, for his power, and for his promise. And we put all of that together, and we live lives of faith and worship, like Mary in this story, and we destroy doubt and fear with faith and worship. I'm sure Mary had her moments. She definitely had her moments. We all have moments. We're allowed to have moments, but they got to be moments. Stop and think for a minute, and what is she doing in the midst of all of this craziness? She's singing. She's worshiping. She's overjoyed. In our lives, because of the presence of sin in our hearts, and the hearts of those closest to us, in the world around us, we will be affected by fear and doubt. It is inevitable. What is the biggest worry that you have this morning? Holidays are usually very good for stirring up all those worries, aren't they? Maybe it's a physical illness, a temporary one that you wish would just go away, or one that you've been living with for years. Maybe it's finances or your business. Maybe it's just the stress of raising little kids and running them all over God's creation. Maybe your relationships are in turmoil. Here's the question, church. Are you worrying about all of those things or are you worshiping in the middle of them? That's what we see, Mary. Are you worrying about these things or are you worshiping in the midst of them? We all have moments of worry, But how quickly do we get ourselves back to worship? You can have a moment. Get yourself back to worship. And I say it a lot. Worship is not just singing. Singing is an expression of the heart that is overflowing with joy of faith and worship. And Christians, we will have our moments of doubt and fear. But overall, we need to be characterized by an attitude of faith and worship like Mary. We destroy doubt. With fear, with, uh, we destroy doubt and fear with faith and worship. Let's pray together. Father, we, we look at this famous passage and this famous song, Lord. And we come to such familiar ground sometimes that it is good to just stop and unpack these things and think about these things. Lord, we think about who you are. And we pray that our lives would be characterized by faith and worship. I I pray that our lives would be characterized by belief that drives us to obedience and we would experience the blessings that you have for your children as obedient children who love you. We pray for hearts of worship, worshiping you for your provision, your power, Lord, and your promise. We pray that in the midst of everything that we have going on, that we would not be consumed by doubt and worry. We would be consumed by worship. Help us, Lord. That's a tall order someday for us. It's difficult. Help us to trust you enough to walk in obedience. We pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.